Hello, hello. Welcome to The Feeding Phase, a podcast about board games, food, and feeding the gamers in your life. In today's episode, instead of talking about recent games, we're going to take a look back at Gen Con, the biggest tabletop convention in North America, where Casey and I got to spend a week amongst friends, board games, and some good food. Our main topic today is second chances, but first, Gen Con. Casey, what's a meal that really stood out for you at Gen Con? So this is my third Gen Con, Benita, and it's my first time being able to visit Shapiro's Delicatessen. Now, this is like a spot in Indianapolis. <laughs> I guess it's like a place where the people go. The people who know, they know, and they go there. I guess I don't know because I have yet to go there. In my defense, I was working, <laughs> so I was not able to. I was so sad you couldn't come with us. I was excited um, to go with our buddy, Daryl Andrews, um, who you guys might know as a very prolific designer. One of their claim to fame designs is Sagrada and who has become a good friend in the industry. So he took me and a few of our friends out to Shapiro's. It's actually a it's a deli style. So have you ever been to like a Luby's? I do not know what that means. <laughs> so Luby's, tell our Texas listeners out there. I know it's a very Southern <laughs> thing. Luby's is like a, uh, it's like a cafeteria. So you get your little, you know, your cafeteria tray, you get yeah. into line and you're going to start piling up all of the things you want to eat. You got pie, you, for some things are behind the counter and you ask for a serving of, right? But like a lot of the cold stuff, you just grab and go onto your cafeteria yeah. plate. And then at the end, there's a person at the cash register who charges charges you up, you pay, and then you go sit down and you bust it yourself. It's like an adult cafeteria. I like it. So Shapiro's Delicatessen, I think Delicatessen is the fancy way to say um, cafeteria. Or deli. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's it's very similar. You go, you stand in line, you grab your yeah. tray, and you're going to walk through. So Shapiro's is known for their Rubens. Do you know what a Ruben is, Benita? I have had a Ruben, I think like twice in my life, but if you tell, it's like beef, right? There's beef in it. Yeah. Yeah. So for our listeners out there, it's like corned beef, right? And then sauerkraut and on like a rye bread. And I think there's like a dressing of some sort. So I was a little intimidated to order the Reuben. Just not that I don't like sauerkraut. I, I have never had corned beef. And so I was uh. like, well, I really want to enjoy my meal. And on the menu, they had a thinly sliced uh, deli style beef brisket. And I love Ooh. brisket. I'm a Texas girl. I was just talking about Luby's. I ended up ordering their brisket with, um, I think they had a sauce on it, something of the sort with cheese in a sandwich and when I tell you the sandwich was the size of my head it was absolutely <laughs> insane I couldn't even fit the thing into my mouth and yeah that's what she said please keep um, it it's a family friendly podcast okay <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly sorry folks I'm sorry and then with it even though I saw that huge sandwich I was like okay this needs a side of mac and cheese because if there's something I'm gonna eat at every cafeteria it is their mac and cheese I don't care if it's bad I don't care if it's good I have to try it like, it's just like, it's like a science experiment. I need to know what the <laughs> yeah. best cafeteria mac and cheese is on, on the planet. Okay. I love mac and cheese. I have an obsession with it. So I approve. Okay. You all, like, no matter how big your main dish is, always get a side of mac and cheese. Even if you know you're never going to eat everything, yeah. you still got to get it anyway. Exactly. There's something neurochemical when you're walking through a cafeteria style line with plates of food that you can just take and grab. It's yeah. like go to a sushi restaurant and you have the plates of sushi going by and you think, oh, this is so cheap. It's only $3 a plate. And at the end of the meal, you have how many plates stacked up? you know <laughs> too many exactly <laughs> so of course the cheesecake in the dessert aisle was then calling oh, my name oh nice and even though I had a brisket sandwich the size of my head a plate full of mac and cheese that was way <laughs> too large I was like oh well if there's classic New York style cheesecake right. I have to eat it of course I have to because Again, it's an experiment. Did you sleep for 10 hours after the meal? <laughs> you, no, no. I had to pack that night. You remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that night. 
so I grab that cheesecake and we sit down. And, and so this was the meal. Okay. Sandwich, mac and cheese, cheesecake, the sandwich. It was good. Okay. So here's my thing. I'm not sandwich is probably my least favorite lunch, least favorite lunch. It's probably my least favorite go-to for like essential. Like when people think like, what do you, what do you eat for lunch? You eat sandwich, yeah. you know, salad. Yeah. Soup, you know what I mean? Like what are, yeah. what are some things you would take for a lunch, right? You're not eating a turkey yeah. dinner. Okay. Like there's classic right. lunch foods. Sandwich is going to be my least favorite hands down. And I'm going to get some hate about this. I get it all the time. I'm okay. Give me your hate. <laughs> Give me your hate. Okay. Lay your hate on the soggy yeah. bread that is mediocre <laughs> to me. The only way I'm, I'm happy with a sandwich is if it's like so overdone. Like I need my bread to be perfectly sure. toasted. I need it to be buttered on the inside. I need some sort of smashed guacamole. Okay. I need bacon. I need lettuce and I need tomato. I'm not talking about a BLT. I'm talking a BLT plus more. So my sandwiches are just like the king of sandwiches. So anything less than that is a waste of my time. Because I work from home, I'm not like taking lunches to go. So I am very pro sandwich, but I agree that if you pack it in advance, you're going to get soggy bread and who wants soggy bread. But like if I'm because I because you go to a lab right so I get that yes but I'm cooking at home I have a full kitchen available to me so I am very much like making sandwiches I had a um a period last year where I would get um sourdough bread like fresh sourdough bread I would toast that I would put this like bruschetta sauce mix that I get from Trader Joe's Mm. over it then I would do fresh mozzarella Mm. and Mm -hmm. then I would put salami or spicy pepperoni Mm. or some type of meat and then I would eat it like that and it was Mm-hmm. so good oh and then but I would put see, a yeah okay but, that's delicious and I would and I would toast it so everything was warm and melty and cheesy <laughs> I needed to be toasted and look yeah. I'm not saying I don't I won't eat a sandwich I'm just saying on the on the thing of lunches, it's going to be my least favorite thing. That's fair. I was excited to try this brisket sandwich. I bit into it. And look, I didn't get the thing they were known for. I probably should have gotten the Reuben and tried the sandwich that everybody writes about and the reason they've won awards. But for me, it was like the bread was okay. The meat was, it was like so much of it. So it was like, honestly, yeah. like getting through it was like, okay, this just isn't for me. This is just too heavy of a meat sandwich for me personally. The mac and cheese was delicious. I really love the mac and cheese. Okay. You know what was kind of crazy about it? What? It was it was sweet. What? But it was good. It Wait, was whoa, I don't whoa, know. Whoa. What yes. was sweet about it? It had a sugary sweetness to it. It had like a sweet aftertaste, like almost like like caramel mac and cheese. Like it had this care like not sweet like sugar, like more caramel, like burnt caramel. You know like how sandwiches was your hot take? My hot take is that like stop making savory stuff sweet. Like I know hot honey is so popular. <laughs> Salted caramel. I love hot honey. Oh my god, no. Like hot I just hot honey will never be for me. I like my spiciness separate. I like my my sweetness separate. The two shall not oh, mix. No. The two shall not mix. See, I love I love sweet and spicy. Oh, so no. I love hot honey. It's one of my favorite things right now. I'm I'm on the hot I honey. I am anti hot honey. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have a ticket, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course the star of the dish was that cheesecake. Really? Okay. I ate that entire so there was no room for the sandwich <laughs> because I ate the entire piece you of had cheesecake. To eat the cheesecake. Yeah. It was incredible. It was so delicious. It was a New York cheesecake, which usually means very heavy, but somehow it was still light. But it gave on that salty cheesiness. Like I was so satisfied with that meal. And then we ended it with games. Uh, it was lovely. Okay, so this cheesecake was your most standout meal at Gen Con. How about a game that really stood out to you, Casey? I'm so glad you asked. So I got to demo Last Light. This is designed by Roy Kennedy and published by Gray Fox Games. So in Last Light, the theme is that you're actually a faction competing for the last light of a dying star. So it's actually kind of grim if you think about it because this is like the last star in the universe. Once it goes extinct, all organic life will no longer be able to exist. So you're trying to basically outlive the other factions by getting the last of the light for your own community's people. 
right? And so it's a race. It's a race to 20. The first player to get 20 light is going to trigger the game end, okay? And then whoever has the most light at the end of the game wins. Oh, okay. And how are you getting light? Well, it's a 4X space game. But if you haven't heard about Last Light- What's 4X? Oh, that's a great, thank you for asking, Benita. (laughs) Um, So 4Xs, let's name them. Um, Explore, exterminate. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Expand, exploit. Mm. Don't love that one either. Hey, it is what it is. That's what the four X's are. <laughs> That's what the four X's stand for in a four X um, game. And this is a four X space game. And so if we think about some of our four X space games, you might think of Twilight Imperium. You might think of Eclipse. Often when we think of these games, we think of all day events, right? Like right. something that's going to take you all day to play. That's okay. There's an audience for that. I love an all day game of Twilight Imperium. I have to be in the mood for it. Mood. You have to be. I've done Twilight Imperium once. It was a nine hour game. It was the first time I ever love played. It. I loved my experience. I want to mm-hmm. do it again. But like once a year is probably good enough for me. Yeah, it's such an event, right? right? Like it's a whole it's a whole thing. Like you get prepared for it. It's exciting. Yeah. You know what I mean? So at Gen Con, this was hot. I didn't know they were going to have copies of Last Light, um, but it was like a mad dash for the copies they had to sell every morning. I think they had like 50 copies every morning to sell. And they had the deluxe edition, not the retail. So it was a mad dash. But I refused, Benita. I refused to just buy the hotness because I am a changed person. I'm not 2020 Casey, okay, anymore. I don't just buy whatever is hot. That is a blatant lie. For our listeners right now, Casey, while she was in line for Last Light, she made me stand in line at a different booth for another game because she heard from other podcasters that it was a really is a hot game. And did she play this game before she made me buy it for her? Absolutely not. No. So I don't know who she's trying to fool. Not us. Not us. Okay, I heard from reliable sources that General Orders was going to be very good, and it's two players. So but I was like, okay. you didn't try it before you bought it. <laughs> no, I did, not, I did not. Also, General Orders was 20 bucks. Last night was a pretty penny. So I was like, I cannot just drop over two bills on a game I have not even demoed. All I'm hearing, y'all, is that you're right, Benita. I am not a changed person. <laughs> I try my best to to be able to play the game first. (laughs) Okay. So, So I got the demo. How the game is played so quickly is because you have simultaneous game action. So at the same time, everyone is going to declare the action they're taking. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to flip it at the same time. Then everybody is going to do their action. Okay. So everybody is doing, you're always doing something in last light. Okay. There's no downtime. And that's how the game is able to be played because you're not sitting there in a six or eight player game waiting for every single person to take their turn. Everybody's doing their turn at the exact same time. That's nice. Um, And the way that works is you have action cards. So everybody has different types of actions you can do, like exploiting, gathering resources, right? You can expand by moving your army. Obviously, they're not called these 4X terms. It's called like command for movement. It's called um, mine for gathering resources and so on and so forth. You have all these cards in your hand to take these actions, but you also have a card that says refresh. Okay. Okay. So when you're playing your cards, you play them to your discard, but you don't get to just take your cards back into your hand when you run out of cards. You can't take any cards back into your hand until you play your refresh card. Then you can take everything but your refresh card into your hand. Okay. Okay. But how do you get your refresh card back in your hand? You have to wait till everybody at the table has played their refresh card. And that is what triggers the end of a round. Oh, interesting. Yes. So everybody's kind of doing stuff at different times with their cards and might be refreshing their hand. So let's say I've played three of my cards, right? Three of my actions, but I really want to do another movement action, but I've already played that card. I can refresh before everybody else does and get those cards back into my hand, right? But I can't refresh again until everybody's refreshed, okay? Okay. Once everybody's played their refresh card, we're all going to just take the refresh 
refresh card back into your hand. So if you have other cards down, they stay. And then you have the movement of the table. And this is another thing why Last Light has garnered so much attention is that the, the table, similar to a game like Soul, there's rings of planets orbiting this last dying star. So you have your inner ring of planets, you have your outer ring of planets, and then you have the like distant planets, okay? And these aren't in a ring, they're just everything on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the round, the inner ring is going to turn 90 degrees and then the outer ring is going to turn 45 degrees. Oh, that's very cool. So if you were just building on a planet um, and it turns, it might be on the other side of the board now from you, your oh, ships, okay. okay? Because it takes everything that's on that planet because you're going out and you're trying to essentially expand and exploit these planets for resources, right? And victory right. points. But the goal of the game is to inhabit the planets that are closest to the sun because they're the ones that are able to extract the light. So at Gen Con, I got to demo only one round of this, meaning we played until everybody played their refresh card. Then we got to see how the board movement happened. So the the rotating of the inner and outer rings. And then we switched off because there were so many people who wanted to um, try out the game and demo it. We only got to do a round. So I was really excited to get this played. I got this played last weekend and I played it at um, five players. Okay. So I had three gamers over that are definitely more experienced in medium weight games. So I thought this would be right up our alley. Everybody really enjoyed the game. I had a great time playing it. We definitely ran into issues playing the game. It's simultaneous actions. You need to make sure everyone at the table knows what they're doing. I think it's really easy to maybe forget something or make a mistake. It's really hard to backtrack. And we definitely had some instances where people were like, oh, I forgot to do this on this action and take this bonus because there's this little engine building component where you are making some of the actions you do more powerful. Right. And so, you know, if somebody forgets, oh, I forgot to activate my technology, (laughs) then like three rounds later, they're like, oh, can I get this resource? I forgot to do it three rounds ago. So while I didn't have any issues operating my simultaneous Mm -hmm. actions, I was told by the other players that it was harder for them to keep track of what they were doing. They definitely felt like this wasn't a game they could play with anybody who wasn't as experienced as they are with board games. Makes sense. With the simultaneous actions, they would want to switch it to where everybody is taking their individual turn. I do think that's when you defeat the purpose a little bit with timing. And I also think that with more frequently asked question pages, maybe a round two of the rule book where you have more examples of stuff, things like that. I bet if you go on Last Light BGG page, there's already people who have done these addendums and frequently asked questions. Actually, while we're talking right now, I'm Googling. There is a rulebook version two that was uploaded a month ago. And there is a player aid oh, that interesting. was uploaded a month ago as well. Oh, see, the player aid, yeah. I needed that. We needed the player aid. That was really, they have a player aid, but I don't think it's um what you want. It gives you some icons, but not everything. And it's only one page that everybody has to share. So yeah, I definitely needed to print out maybe some of those things for next game night to help with help things out. Also, it was my first time teaching. Yeah. It was my first time doing a full game. All that stuff gets easier. But overall, everybody had a blast. It, there was that one point in the game where everybody was standing up around the table. Oh, really? Because there were like seven different battles happening at once. Because one of my favorite things about Last Light is it really forces you to fight. Because your ships are super cheap to make. Mm-hmm. You can move them very easily. So it, the way the gameplay is set up versus like a game like Twilight Imperium where your ships are so precious, you have this system where you're building up resources pretty quick and your chip, your ships are pretty inexpensive to make. And then battle, you only get to defend yourself if you also played a command card. So you have to predict if you're going to get hit. So if you don't have a command card to play and somebody attacks you, you just take the hit. So everybody at the table thoroughly enjoyed Last Light. It's a really good time. I definitely recommend checking it out. I'm curious to see how they make the retail edition and what the price point will be so they can make it affordable for consumers. But yeah, that was Last Light. Uh, Really enjoyed my first play of it. Can't wait for more. So Benita. What was good to eat at Gen Con? So Casey, do you remember when you and me went to Bodhi Restaurant? Yes. 
It was a small event hosted for content creators to introduce us to Disney Lorcana, mm-hmm. and the food was absolutely exquisite. Yes. It is a Thai-based restaurant, and they had people um, serving different finger foods. And I really wanted to highlight some of my absolute favorite ones. For example, the shrimp cocktail. Oh, yes. I remember the shrimp cocktail. The shrimp cocktail is probably the one that stood out the most because in general, I am a huge shrimp cocktail fan. I probably get shrimp cocktail at least once a month because I love like the spicy horseradish cocktail sauce. I like shrimp. It's good. Yum. But at this restaurant, they had a, it was a little bit different. They had something called their signature spicy sauce. I have no idea what's in it. And, you know, the waiter was like, oh, just FYI, it was spicy. I got to admit I didn't believe them. <laughs> of course not. Uh, because I love spicy food and I'm like, ah, I got this. I'm Indian. Like spiciness, please. It was spicy. Like not like I couldn't eat it, but I was very pleasantly shocked by how spicy and delicious it was. So oh, it went, I remember I just literally yeah. took one bite and looked at you and I'm like, oh, it is spicy. <laughs> and it wasn't like too much for me. But like at that restaurant in Indianapolis, I was not expecting any anything to be spicy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely people who were, we were um, with that like after a bite couldn't have the rest of the literally, trim. literally. <laughs> yeah. And I had like five of them. Like it was delicious. <laughs> and it, but it was like a pleasant surprise how spicy it is. Like sidebar, like when I go to Indianapolis, I carry a little thing of crushed red peppers because the food there is a little bit bland in that city. I'm so sorry, Indianapolis. <laughs> but this was not. This is very well seasoned. Some of the other hors d'oeuvres they had was crab puffs. So mm. these are like crispy fried mm-hmm. wontons. And I have loved wontons for forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were stuffed with imitation crab, with cream cheese. And they had like- So much crab. So much crab. And it wasn't like a teeny amount and mostly fried. It was like actually a good amount of crab in it. And then they served it with a sweet chili sauce. And just mm-hmm. to go back to mm-hmm. the sweet and spicy thing, this is the exception. <laughs> sweet chili sauce is like a condiment. Okay, guys. Okay. This is the exception. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like that like sweet chili sauces as a, as a staple for a lot of Asian food right like duck yes. sauce and Chinese or sweet chili mm-hmm. sauce and like Thai like okay I'm not gonna mm-hmm. like poo poo on their sauces okay <laughs> <laughs> I do love a good sweet chili sauce yum and then they also had really crispy spring rolls mm. who doesn't like spring rolls I'm a huge fan of spring, uh, spring rolls and then finally they had these chicken skewers that were grilled to perfection served with a peanut sauce so juicy but yeah that was probably the best meal I had at Indianapolis when I go back to Gen Con I am definitely making a trip out to that restaurant because it, it was a little bit far from the convention center but the food was so good and you know I kind of like was a little bit snarky at the beginning of the episode but Indianapolis it doesn't have a great food scene, in my opinion, and I don't always look forward to the food at Gen Con, but this restaurant made me realize that I really do need to go a little bit outside the convention area and explore some other restaurants mm. because so close by are like chain restaurants or bar food, which is fine in a pinch, yeah, but they don't excite me. So note to self, for next year Gen Con, I will definitely be going a little bit further out to eat. Yeah, we should do a date like maybe a few miles outside of that downtown area and find a good cool yeah, spot. Yeah, definitely. So listeners, if you have a cool spot to recommend, let us know. Okay, Benita, so that sounds delicious, but what were you playing? So it's a long-standing joke with my community that I don't play board games at conventions. I am usually <laughs> running around to meetings or I'm working it or I'm talking to people. I just, I don't unfortunately have time to play a lot of games at conventions, but I did play a few games this year. And one game that really stood out for me was Sunrise Lane, designed by Reiner Knizia and published by Horrible Guild under the Flat River banner. Love. What are you doing in Sunrise Lane? You are engaging in a fierce competition to build your dream neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Why I was attracted to this game? For several reasons. It looks pretty and also it's designed by Reiner Knizia. I am a Reiner Knizia fangirl and I will always try his games because I very much enjoy them. They're great. In Sunrise Lane, you have a main board that is basically a grid. And in each spot of the grid, you have one to five dots in a single color. That's going to become important later. 
on your turn, you're either drawing a few cards or you are playing cards of the colors matching the game board. And when you place out a card, that's when you are placing your houses. So everyone has houses of their own player color. So how does that work exactly? If I put down three pink cards, that means I'm putting my houses on a pink spot on the board and I'm building up. If I'm putting down three cards, I'm going to build up to three pieces of my own player color. And every spot has one to five dots, which will be your multiplier. If I'm going to put three player pieces in one spot that has four dots, I'm going to do three times four, 12. So I have just earned 12 points for that move. And so those dots will get you more and more points, especially if you're putting a lot of the same color in one spot. So I once was able to do five house pieces in a five dot spot and I got 25 points. And I remember this. I know. Casey remembered this because <laughs> we were playing with each other and um, I won that game and Casey was not pleased. <laughs> yeah, I got creamed in that game, but I still really liked it. But yes, go on, Benita. I really like this game and it's simple, but there's definitely strategy there. And I was also getting vibes of Ticket to Ride. The house color cards felt like the color train cards. And then there's also end game scoring. So it's not you're not just getting points for placing your player pieces. You also have awards at the end of the game for tallest building, most buildings, longest group of adjacent buildings, which is like the longest route in Ticket to Ride. So it felt really similar. And I'm a huge Ticket to Ride fan. I still play it mm. to this day. It's a comfort game. And it's a classic. It's a classic. And Sunrise Lame filled that vibe. But different like it still felt like a different game I really enjoyed my play of Sunrise Lane I played the full player count we me and Casey were playing with two other people and it felt very tactical because when you're putting houses on the grid they have to be adjacent to other houses and it doesn't have oh, to be yes. adjacent to your own color mm -hmm. oh what I didn't mention there is a hand limit unlike Ticket to Ride you can only have five cards in your hand so if you take new cards you have to discard other cards so if I'm trying to build up to that perfect five cards of the same color that spot that I'm trying to build on might be taken by the time it's my turn again yeah. because like I mentioned anyone can build anywhere it's not my spot to build I can't claim a spot before putting down their cards so there's very much strategy but when you're playing a four-person game it's very tactical because the board is constantly changing by people putting their houses down yeah you can't you can't put all your eggs in one basket right exactly I'm really excited to teach my family Sunrise Lane because I know they're really going to enjoy it. I liked the art. I had no problems with it. But Casey, why don't you tell everyone what you thought of the art? I Okay, so I don't know. We were playing in a bar. So it was dim lighting. And I thought we were playing a prototype. So I asked if it was the final version. And I got so mortified. And Benita laughed her little little pants off over there. Let me, me clarify. She asked people working for the company if it was a prototype. Like, these are people from Horrible Gil. I technically <laughs> said, is this the final version? Okay. And everybody was like, did you just call it a prototype? <laughs> <laughs> it was case if it was the so shoe fits I was mortified was so embarrassed I was, it was, I was so funny <laughs> I and then of course you know they were they were great sports they were so sweet yeah. um and they were laughing but they gave me a hard time about it the entire game <laughs> I, I do think it, the lighting was very dim it made it yeah. a little bit hard to see I think they're going for that recycled vibe <laughs> I don't think so y'all I don't think they're going for that vibe Casey just is not a fan of the art so she's like let's just let's just end it there I don't know if I'm gonna keep that in I came off meaner and yeah. that's why I laughed because I didn't mean it to be I didn't mean it to come off that way guys it came off as recycled yeah maybe don't I add just that meant, it's like that color of green and like brown you know that gives makes yeah. me think of like recycled Mm-hmm. <sighs> I really liked it, y'all. I had a good time with Benita, even though she kicked my ass. It was fun. Casey and I were bouncing off ideas for today's topic, and we wanted to challenge ourselves. And we're like, hmm, are we too quick to judge? Should we give food and games second chances? And hence, today's topic. So today we're going to be talking about a game that maybe we didn't love the first time. Maybe there's a recipe or ingredient that we kind of dismissed and going back to it, revisiting it and has our opinion changed. 
So, Benita, and to all our listeners, I need to know if I'm in a safe space. You are in a safe space. Are you pro-pickle or anti-pickle? I am very pro-pickle. Oh, no! Okay, well, this is going to be a very interesting story because I'm about to talk about my pickle journey. So if you don't know me, I abhor pickles, okay? It stems from being in in the years where like McDonald's and Burger King, you couldn't make changes to their menu. So their burgers were always served with like relish, like chopped up pickles and mustard. And in South Texas, it's like a thing to eat a big pickle in a movie theater. Really? Yes. As as a kid, I was just surrounded by this pickly flavor (gasps) that I did not want, I did not love. And I just like, I've always had a very like aversive taste to pickles. But as an adult, okay, I'm often trying recipes that maybe call for some sort of pickling process. So for the my entire life, I was convinced that I could not eat anything that was pickled. I was like, pickling is the problem, okay? Especially because like I've had pickles. Like it's not like I don't like the smell, so therefore I've never had. I've, I've eaten pickles. I've had plenty of burgers messed up. <laughs> um, so on my pickling journey, I had to do pickled onions. Have you ever had pickled onions in a dish, Benita? I love pickled onions onions huge fan yeah so it's like really popular in especially like as a topping for like different types of tacos because it cuts through the heat right. of salsas so it's really nice to have that vinegary pickly flavor with the heat and then the fat from the from the meat so my first time making pickled onions I was very nervous I didn't know if I was gonna like them and if you don't know how to make pickled onions it's really easy all you need is apple cider vinegar okay you need sugar you need salt and you're gonna be throwing these things in a jar um, with uh, onions, okay, that are thinly sliced, as thinly as possible. And then you just want to add your flavor agent. So for me, that's going to be maybe jalapenos, maybe some peppercorns, crushed red pepper. I want to always make everything spicy. Right. So I'm adding in agents to make it spicy. But you could also do things like to make it like you know sweeter or uh, sour, different types of flavor profiles. And then if it's a quick pickle, you put it in your fridge for a couple of hours and it's ready to go. But you can also pickle longer. So quick question. You're making these pickled onions. Have you had pickled onions before? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. And that's what really inspired me trying this for the first time is that, yes, I went to a restaurant and I had a taco that had pickled onions on it. And I didn't realize it was going to have pickled onions. And I took a full bite thinking these were just grilled onions. I didn't really pay any attention to that they were pickled. And I was filled with such balance of flavors in that taco because of the addition of that bright vinegar taste right I was shocked I was like oh my god this is really good <laughs> and like, I didn't maybe I like pickled stuff <laughs> I was like zing oh yeah. my goodness and so yeah so later on down the line I'm making a recipe that calls for pickled onions and I think okay let me see if I can do this myself this was my first time ever pickling anything right. I had never pickled anything before and so yeah you put those ingredients together I got it out the onion turned this beautiful pink translucent color and um I I added it to the tacos it was superb they just like I couldn't put enough pickled onions on my tacos I was just like I wanted to drink the juice I was shocked I was like whoa is this why people like picklebacks have you ever had a pickleback by the way I have had a pickleback (laughs) do you like picklebacks no, but for our audience who doesn't know real quick, a pickleback is a shot of pickle juice that you often do after a shot of whiskey. When I went to law school, actually, you might have been to this restaurant. There's pickle bar in like downtown Baltimore. Yes. So oh many my God. spent yes. at pickle bar. Totally. <laughs> you get the discount. You yeah. get the discount there as a student yeah. too, as graduate students. Also, mm-hmm. FYI, y'all, Casey and I both lived in Baltimore but we didn't know each other and so at much the same time, time well, too. At the same time. And we didn't know <laughs> each crazy. other. It's so funny. So I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe how much I loved it. So then I'm like, well, what is it? Because I can't eat pickles that didn't change my mind. I still will not eat most pickles. And when I say most now, it did get me curious. So I remember going to a farmer's market. It was a pickle booth and they had an assortment of homemade, fresh, big pickles that you can buy in a stick. They stab it in a stick and then you walk around the farmer's market. So of course, (laughs) 
my husband, the biggest pickle lover of them all, was like, oh, I have to get a pickle. So he goes and he gets the hot and spicy and he wants me to try it. And when I take a tiny nibble of this hot and spicy pickle, I think, oh, that's really good. That's kind of like the similar taste of what I was thinking with the pickled onions. It was very spicy. It was very tangy and delicious. So now I'm realizing, okay, I love cucumber. It's obviously not vinegar. What is it about pickles that I'm not enjoying when I think of it in a classic burger? And I found out the culprit. It is dill. I do not like dill. If people put dill in a salad, I don't like it. If people put dill with fish, I don't like it. So it's not that I don't like the pickling process or vinegar, it's that most pickles are heavily flavored with dill, especially the classic kind of pickles you think of. It's a dill pickle. This begs a question. Do you like Greek food? I do love Greek food. And do you like tzatziki sauce? Um, It depends because see, not all tzatziki sauce is heavy on the dill. It's not, but they most tzatziki sauces do have dill. So maybe you yeah. just don't like it yeah. when it's the prevalent herb yeah. in a dish. Maybe if it's yeah. like mixed in with other yeah. herbs, you're like, okay but with see, it. But see, tzatziki's not my favorite. I love oh. garlic sauce. Ooh, I love tzatziki. How dare you? <laughs> I love tzatziki. Don't get me wrong. If it's if it, it depends on the tzatziki sauce. I do agree that I've had some with more dill than others. But like the other day, I went to oh 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 at Pax West. We had Pax West not too long ago, and Ford gave me mama shout out. Came out and visited me, and she wanted to go out to dinner. I was dying to try this place called Milk Drunk here in Seattle. I saw a TikTok on it, so I was like, <laughs> let's go to Milk Drunk. So I picked her up. We went into the so we took the we took the tube and we went to Milk Drunk and they are known for their fried chicken. We got the fried chicken. I got their ranch. Guess what type of ranch it is? Dill ranch. Dill ranch. And I, I bought it because I thought I'm going to take. I hated it, Benita. I hated it. It was green. It Why? had so much dill in it. Why did you buy something called Dill Ranch when you know you don't like dill? Because here's the thing. I'm constantly experimenting. I'm testing my (laughs) hypotheses. I thought I didn't like pickles my entire life. And now I'm realizing I just don't like dill pickles. Yeah. Okay, I would, for your own sake, stop buying things with dill. (laughs) (laughs) Solid advice. Okay, Benita, I want to hear, what is your second chance meal? So I took this topic in a little different way. I love Thai food. Just talked about Bodhi Restaurant at Gen Con. Thai is probably one of my favorite cuisines. I love cooking, hence why I have a podcast about food with my friend. But for some reason, I am not the best at making Thai food. My green curry is pretty great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Kaprao chicken, oh. or aka chicken with basil, okay. has eluded me. Okay. So describe, what is this dish? Kaprao chicken is a staple in Thai food. It is a very quick stir-fried dish of rice and chicken with holy basil. Not like Italian basil that you put in a marinara. Specifically Thai holy basil. Exactly. Totally. I'm fortunate to live around a bunch of Asian grocery stores where I can buy holy basil. So I was like, you know what? I love Thai food. Let me try making this recipe. This was years ago. I have all of the Thai spices and sauces, like fish sauce, oyster sauce, sambal, like everything. I ha- I love condiments. I have a lot of condiments. I'm like, I can do this. Like I found a recipe. Uh, shout out to Hot Thai Kitchen. I follow all of her recipes for Thai food and they're really great. Mm. And I can't get this recipe right. I don't know why. Something is missing when I make it. I follow the recipe. I will tweak the measurements Mm -hmm. to my taste. Mm -hmm. The first time I made it, I didn't do that. It didn't hit the spot. So I'm like, okay, let me try this again. Tweaking the measurements didn't work. I tried it like one more time and it didn't work and I gave up. So when you say it's not hitting the spot, Benita, are you saying like, okay, I make it, it's edible, but there's something about when I'm getting it at a restaurant and it's prepared for me that it's just not reaching that quality exactly what I'm talking about because I like I mentioned before I love green curry and I have made uh green curry before and my green curry is really Mm, good mm -hmm. like I bet (laughs) thank you (laughs) my family asked me to make it and and it turns out well and that's why when I go to a Thai restaurant I don't really feel the need to get green curry because I know I can just make it just as well at home totally but 
I cannot make Caprao chicken. And lately I've been more moving to the beef side. So now I usually order Caprao beef when I go mm, to a restaurant. Mm. I can't make it. And I don't know why. So when Case and I were coming up with a theme, we're like, let's do second chances. So I was like, what is a recipe that I don't haven't gone back to in a while? And this is the first thing that came up. It's kind of like my white whale. <laughs> I haven't been able to master it. So I tried it again and I couldn't do it. It was my second chance. I honestly, like realistically, it was like my fifth chance yeah. making this recipe. Yeah. And for the life of me, I cannot make it. So if anyone has any tips about how to make Caprao chicken, please let me know. And for people who are not familiar with Caprao chicken, you know, it is a dish that has Thai chilies, garlic, we were having oyster sauce, soy sauce, fixed sauce, black soy sauce, sugar, and the key ingredient is obviously the Thai holy basil. Maybe I just need to buy even fresher holy basil. Mm, mm. I'm not really sure what the disconnect is between the recipe and how I'm making it. Um, Are you frying the is chicken? It, is it a stir fry? What is it? It's a stir fry. fry. It's a stir fry. I see. It's a stir fry. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think that the recipes online are just lying about their sauce ratio? They don't want to give it up. They don't want to give up the goods. Maybe. And maybe it's also like the sauces, like, you know, like I am using oyster sauce, soy sauce, fish sauce, but the black soy sauce, like maybe I'm using not the correct like Thai black soy sauce. There's so many different brands of soy sauce too. It's There's incredible. There's so many mm -hmm. different brands of soy sauce and like black soy sauce for like Chinese soy sauce is so different from like black soy sauce for Thai soy sauce. I've tried like varying up my recipes as well by like by different other creators. And like some people are like, oh, use Kisap Manis, which I don't mm, have. And they're, mm -hmm. and they're like um, a substitute for Kisap Manis is a Maggie sauce, which I do have. And so I've mm. tried variations and like, you know, I, I really put time and effort into like figuring <laughs> out this recipe. And yeah. I just, I don't know, like I can make like other dishes so well but this is my second chance that I just can't do okay Casey now that you and everyone listening know my struggles with Caprao chicken and me <laughs> going back to it constantly is there a board game that you have given a second chance to yes I'm so glad you asked I was excited y'all Benita and I had assignments okay we had homework <laughs> we were not going to make an episode about second chances and not genuinely give each of our games a second chance before we filmed today so I'm very proud of us because we both chose a game that we bounced off of and we both gave it a full full we gave it a full try we gave the game a second chance right I know I I was very proud of myself because my game is long so I'm very <laughs> I'm very proud that I accomplished the homework that Casey assigned to me I'm proud of both of us too we're like get it done um so yeah so today I'm going to be talking about war of the ring the card game. Yes, yes. Not War of the Ring, obviously. I did not bounce off of that baby. So War of the Ring, the card game is designed by Ian Brody and it's published by Ares Games. So if you don't know War of the Ring, that is this epic two-player game with some asymmetry where one player is playing as the Fellowship, the other player is the Shadow. As the Fellowship, you're trying to stave off corruption and destroy the one ring that rules them all. It is one of my favorite games in our collection. We don't get to play it as often as I like. It's an epic it's one you need a whole day on I mean you don't play it the whole day but it takes the energy out of you right so you need a nap afterwards so basically you need a day to play war of the ring <laughs> um that's just me personally I know plenty of people don't need naps after but I do um so when I first heard about war of the ring the card game I really thought it was going to be something that packages that war of the ring experience into more of a quicker playing two to four player card dueling game right but I think probably thinking that that was the experience I was going to get is what really threw me off the first time I played it so very quickly just to go over gameplay if you were playing it four player, which is the classic way the game is supposed to be played. You're playing it teams. One team is the shadow. The other team is the fellowship. So Benita, do you watch Lord of the Rings? I have seen all the movies and half okay. of the show. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't get into the show either. So you and I are probably in the same boat. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. I've never really read the books. It's not something that really calls to me. I never read the books either. Yeah, and I didn't get into the movies until I was older. I didn't love them in high school. They came out when I was in high school. I was more interested in other types of things. 
to say the least. Um, but as an adult, I rewatched them and I, I, I absolutely love the, the movies, the original trilogy. But, you know, my my knowledge of Lord of the Rings definitely is not going to be as deep as some people. So I think you're somebody like me who likes Lord of the Rings, but maybe isn't deep lore, right? Sure. This is my experience with the game. So one team is playing as the Shadow and the other team is playing as the Fellowship. And then you're split up and you each have your own deck of cards. So if you're on the Fellowship, one person would be playing as Frodo, the other Aragorn. If you're the Shadow, one person is playing as the Witch King and the other Saruman, okay? And the way it goes is it's structured. You have these central event cards. One is like a path. And it represents Frodo's journey to destroying the ring. And the other is a battleground. And they represent the different battlegrounds you encounter throughout the story of Lord of the Rings. And the deck is seated, so it's meant to build up. All you're doing is you're playing cards from your hand to win these different locations, either path or battleground locations. And the way you win them is just by the strength that is dictated on your card. Now, these cards represent characters, weapons, um, events that are in your deck and of course they have writing that dictates how they play and if they have any special advantages I definitely was hoping for an epic experience in a small package when I came into it and the first time I played it I did have to play it two player so already I'm going into this not really playing it as the designers intended right it's Mm -hmm. meant to be a four player team game so Miguel and I are playing the intro two player game and we're two handing meaning I have two decks and he has two decks so I'm looking at one of my decks and then the other deck you you can't really pass cards between them right and action is super simple you literally are just either going to play a card or you're going to pass you can whittle your deck meaning you can discard two cards to draw a card you can do these things right but the key is every time you play a card you have to discard a card so your cards are your economy in the game sure right okay but other than that the actions are incredibly simple so my first experience playing with Miguel I was kind of initially shell-shocked it felt nothing like War of the Ring so I'm coming into this expecting it because it's War of the Ring the card game to feel somewhat like the two-player game I'm used to Sure. And it doesn't really feel like that at all. The only similarities I see is in the card art, which is beautiful, by the way. Also, the actions were so simple. Essentially, you have cards you're trying to win area control over. And all you're doing is playing cards from your hand to one of the two pathways. You have the path for the ring. And depending on what chapter it is, so the rings are num- those cards are numbered one through nine. And only characters that match that ring icon can go there. Pretty simple. If the path card says two and I have a character that can go on a two, I just play them down and they're going to give shield. And then the other side is um, the battleground and it tells you what armies can be played to these battlegrounds. So literally, you're just playing these cards and hoping you can have area control. Okay. Then when everybody passes, whoever has area control wins those cards. And when um, the end game is triggered, when a person has 10 more points than the other player. I guess when I started playing, I was just like, oh okay this is simpler than I thought War of the Ring you have to roll dice and that gives you the actions that you have available that round and you're having to control your army and if you're the fellowship you're having to control seeking and if you're the shadow you're having to control hunting the fellowship to figure out where they are in the map uh, Frodo and uh, Sam with the ring so it's like there's so much complexity and so many decisions you have to battle with because you're like man I really need to use this die to take an action to move a leader so I can better control an area on the board but at the same time I also need to use this die to move Sam and Frodo closer to Mount Doom so it puts you in a really cool space where you're making these decisions with War of the Ring the card game I didn't necessarily feel that way the first time I played it and honestly it felt almost random it's like what cards am I drawing versus what's needed to be played do I have a card that matches it okay cool I do let me play it so this is my first experience I would also like to add a caveat it was late we had to restart the game because the first time I played it I realized we did something wrong and it was I don't remember what we did wrong it was a while back when we first got the game but it was definitely catastrophic enough that I'm like oh we have to restart this Mm, and so we restarted the game so you know that also puts you in a bad headspace I didn't write it off I put it back on the shelf I'm like we need to play this again later fast forward to second chances not 
today's second chance, okay? But a few weeks ago, before we were even thinking about this podcast episode, I got to play it the way it was intended for player. I played it 2v2 against two of our mutual friends, Anna Maria and Ben, who we love and are big board gamers. So nothing's really holding us back. They are huge lovers of Lord of the Rings. Right. Like they know it. I'm, I am now the person who knows the least amount about <laughs> Lord of the Rings in this group, okay? Yeah. Everybody wants this to do well. And Deathhawk and I are playing as the Shadow. I was playing as the Witch King and he was playing as Saruman. And then um, they were the Fellowship. I, I struggled. Really? I'm not going to lie. While I enjoyed my time with them, we had just finished playing Lacrimosa, which I, I had a great time playing, even though Anna Maria very, very handily kicked everybody's butt. But <laughs> it was it was a good time. And then we go to this, where I'm now no longer really experiencing satisfying moves. I felt like my hands were tied behind my back the entire game. Every single battleground had an army that I couldn't participate in. It was so frustrating because you can only play cards to battlegrounds if it shows an icon that needs your army. So it's like the times I had those cards available wasn't the times those battlegrounds were coming forth. So I was really only able to contribute to the path cards. And the path cards now require you to have the number of the ring present on the character. But if you're drawing weapons or you're drawing events, you can't play those to path cards. All I felt was frustration. Yeah. There were times when I had a good hand, but then I had to destroy it because an event popped up that said the shadow players must forsake two cards. And I'm like, oh, well, shit. Okay, I guess I got to destroy two of my cards now, you know? It doesn't seem like you're making meaningful choices. It felt so frustrating. It felt so random. I felt like I didn't have any moves where I'm like, oh, I did this, this, and this here, and now I'm able to win this car. I didn't have any of those big moments. Also, I didn't feel like I was on the same page with my teammate. I felt like it was hard to coordinate. It was definitely very, very challenging for us. The Fellowship won, which, great. I'm happy to lose a game. Are you? That I'm glad they won. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm definitely fine. But it was one of those things where I wanted them to win yeah. faster. Oh, really? You're just like, I want to be done with this game. I don't want to play it anymore. Gotcha. Yes, in the best way possible, because of course, I was enjoying my company. But it was it was one of those where I'm like, I don't see us winning. And I'm really frustrated with my deck. I just want to like get the game moving. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't want to hold up anymore. That doesn't happen very often to me. And it was definitely one of those situations. Fast forward to this episode where, you know, we're deciding to give it a second chance. I think War of the Ring is the perfect game because we still have have one mode of play we haven't tried and that is the two-player duel okay so the two-player duel is no longer where you're operating two different decks of cards and the reason i was excited to try this is only the only reason is because of the game table on Instagram. That's Daniel. They have a very like big um, Instagram site where they talk about heavy board games. If I think of somebody who's like the biggest lover of War of the Rings, I think of Daniel because he like loves that game. And he liked the card game, which really is the reason I'm like, okay, I got to give this another try. Right. And they told me that the way they enjoyed playing it was the two player duel where you have just one deck. You're not two handing two separate decks. And when you play it this way, the deck is called Gandalf's deck versus the Witch King's deck. Okay. And you just literally combine both decks together. So Miguel and I played this and we played the full episode, meaning the full story. It wasn't an intro game, nothing. It had all the path cards. You're doing the full journey mm -hmm. to Destruction of the Ring. And we had a pretty good time. Okay. I think there were a couple of things that contributed to this. One, this is now our third time playing the game. This is my second time playing The Fellowship. I now know the cards that are in his hand because I've played as the shadow and I know the cards that are in my hand really well. So I know what is going to come up in my deck. Knowing the game better, getting multiple plays of it and knowing what cards are going to come up, I was able to then be like, okay, I know this path card is out that has a lower number ring, but it's going to come to five soon. Maybe I'm going to play this card in my reserve and plan for a future action because you have an ability to play cards to your reserve. And then when they're in your reserve, you can push them out and it doesn't cost as much. So it just, it, it makes you also realize that it's a longer game. So you can lose some, you can be like, you know what? I'm going to lose these. You can win these battles right now. You can take these cards, but I'm going to set up for future rounds and I'm going to make sure I get those points back later on. So I will say that knowing 
what's in your deck significantly increases the enjoyment of the game. Two, I think I don't love playing it teamed because I don't like relying on somebody else to play the cards uh, the way I want them to play it. Sure, that makes sense. Does that mean I just am not good to play cooperative games? Do you just says something about my character? <laughs> Do you like cooperative games? It really depends on the cooperative game. So that's like a no, like, y'all. I, that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something, it's not a genre I gravitate towards. Yeah. So I think that I struggled with the team aspect. I didn't like that there was so much I felt like I couldn't do. But when I had both decks shuffled in together, yes, there were plenty of times where I couldn't do what I wanted to do. There were plenty of things where I wanted to act on a battleground, but I didn't have the cards in play. But I didn't feel the same frustration as I felt when I played it strictly teamed. That being said, when I was finished with the game, I did want to play it again, but I only wanted to play then as the shadow because I had just finished playing as the fellowship. I wish there was something a little bit more because it's not my deck. I didn't build this deck, right? It's something that was built for me and now I'm expected to play with the same thing every time. There's no change up within the base game of that. But like, say, what if Instead of giving me this built deck, they gave me a deck full of introductory characters because it's the beginning of the story. Who's with Frodo in the beginning? And I start with that deck and then I have to start building my my deck of followers and weapons. That would be so cool. And I have this like arsenal of cards that every time I make an achievement or maybe I progress on a path card, that gives me points where I can then add cards into my deck like better weapons or I can add in more experienced characters. And so my deck is growing with the trajectory of the story. I think that would be so much fun. And then based off of repeat plays, your deck might look different because maybe this time around you can draft Galadriel and get her into your deck and use her cool abilities. Well, what I'm describing is definitely a completely different game than War of the Card <laughs> Game. And I'm sure the designer Ian Brody is like, yeah, but that's not the game. Um, I just think that that is something for me that would probably give it the longevity it needs to stay on my shelf. I am going to play it one more time I, I do think it'll be likely something that won't stay with me long term but yeah I gave it a second chance and I'm glad I gave it a third chance and I'm glad I did because the two-player duel it's where I liked it the most okay Benita I showed you my homework let's see yours we're gonna go back in time to 2018 Ooh, pre-pandemic <laughs> pre-pandemic underwater cities just came out it's designed by Vladimir Suchi and published by delicious games this game is a lot. Mm -hmm. In 2018, I had just kind of started playing board games. You know, I only got into hobby board games around 2017. So when I played Underwater Cities for the first time, I was really overwhelmed. Mm. So what are you doing, Underwater Cities? You are someone who is very smart and you have been nominated to solve the overpopulation problem of <laughs> Earth because you are trying to make Underwater Cities. I love that. Uh, <laughs> this is a combination of a worker placement game, engine building, because you are, have these three doors where there's different spots on the board where you place your door down, essentially like your worker down, and you are going to be playing cards. If your color of the card matches the color of the spot, you get to do extra stuff. Some of these cards are one-time use only. Some of them will stay with you in your tableau and like help you build your engine. Some of these cards are endgame cards so like these cards there's like over 200 of them they can be used in a variety of ways and then you don't only have a main board you have your own private board where you are building these underwater cities and you are producing farms desalination devices and laboratories mm. so and then you're building tunnels to connect to other cities to connect to metropolises. So there is a lot going on. And when I first played this game, I played a three player game and none of us had played it before. So we're all learning it together. Mm -hmm. And I have to say the rule book is not amazing either. Mm, yeah. And so it just felt like a lot was being thrown at me and I couldn't figure out exactly how to play it. Yeah, it's so hard too when someone is reading rule book text to you, right? Because yeah. your brain almost like zones out just a little bit with that versus if somebody in their own words is saying, okay, Benita, and then you're going to come over here and you're going to do this thing. Yeah, It's a little bit easier to pay attention because it's more conversational versus I know when Deathhawk and I learn games together and I'm reading right out of the rule book, he'll be like, wait, what? And then I have to rephrase what I just said yep. into normal 
normal talk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's hard. And again, this was five years ago. So the yeah. term multiplayer solitaire was not a part of my vocabulary. <laughs> and what is multiplayer solitaire? It's like, you know, you're all playing the same board game, but you're kind mm-hmm. of doing your own thing. Definitely. 2018. I wasn't really familiar with that concept. And I'm like, you know, I'm playing games to interact with people and there was no table talk. Yeah. So I'm sitting here playing a game for two to three hours and we are barely talking because we're all focused on like, what is our next move going to be? Heads down. Heads down. And it's a very strategic game. And, you know, we all wanted to do well. We're all learning the game. And so like that was a very quiet three hour gameplay. And I was just really turned off from this game yeah and on top of that underwater cities is compared a lot to terraforming mars Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i love terraforming mars we've talked about it a lot i know a lot of people don't like terraforming mars but i'm a fan especially back then so i was just like you know what i don't really need to play this game again i had bought it it's been sitting on my shelf for years never played it but then we discussed second chances and that was the first game i thought about because underwater cities has been praised for so many years so many people i like think this game is really good people I like in the sense of like our tastes are very similar game wise totally so I'm just like what am I missing here why haven't I played it again so I was at matrimonial con this past week Uh, AKA shout out to John and Tara who got married and which was a half wedding, half board game convention. And why are these two so into board games? Tell us who John is. So John is John Gilmore, who is the designer of such amazing games like Dinosaur Island, Dead of Winter, and many more games. So I was like, you know, this is a perfect opportunity to take Underwater Cities because I'm going to be with other gamers. And Daryl Andrews said this is like one of his top 20 games. So he's like, I'll play it with you. So I said, Love. okay, this is the perfect opportunity to play this game. So we played it. Caveats. It was a four person <laughs> game. Never play Underwater Cities mm. at four people. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> Also, we did stop in the middle of the game to eat dinner. So a three-hour game became like a four-hour game. Oh my gosh. But I will say multiplayer solitaire games don't bother me as much. I'm also not overwhelmed by these types of games anymore because I have played hundreds of board games since 2018. And I have played very heavy games. And I enjoy heavy games. And so the whole table talk of like not talking while you're figuring out your turn doesn't exist anymore for me like I am able to multitask come up with like ways to play the game well and also talk to my friends so like it wasn't a silent four hours like it was when I first played for sure I have very much grown as a board gamer in five years so I liked it there's a lot of things going on I'm making sure I'm getting the spots that I need I'm playing cards that match the color so I can do the double actions. I'm making sure I'm building some type of engine. I'm also making sure my end game points are doing really well. In Underwater Cities you have a, I want to say you have four production phases where all these buildings and labs and farms that you're building are going to produce resources. So I kind of very quickly in the game was like I'm going to go the farm strategy because when you are producing farms and you can upgrade your farms and if you have two up upgraded farms next to each other that's the best because I am producing a lot of kelp but more importantly I'm producing a lot of liquid aka points so every time I'm running my production phase I'm running quite an efficient engine and I was able to do that because I understand games way better I liked underwater cities way more than I liked it five years ago I do still have a few issues of the game. Okay. Like I mentioned, never played our four players. It was just too long. Mm. And even at three, I know it would be a shorter time, but it's still a long game. There's so many choices that you have to make on your turn. And if someone else takes a spot that you were planning on going to, you need to change your strategy pretty quickly. So Benita, my biggest issue with the game is I'm not sure there's much of a crescendo. How did you feel when you went back to it? Did you feel like the end of the game felt different than the beginning of the game. In the beginning of the game, everyone was taking much longer turns. Granted, it could be because some people were new to the game, but I also think it's because there's so many options. Because again, this game has 200 cards, so your strategy is kind of up in the air. 
But by the middle and end of the game, everyone were kind of running their engines. They knew what they were looking for. They knew what cards they were going to discard and get. And I will say, it is a graduated deck. There's three different eras. There's era one, era two, and era three. And there's different cards in the deck. And the decks get more powerful as you play the game. And the cards are just been more beneficial. So I felt a crescendo. Like my turns were a little bit basic in the beginning, but by the end, I was very strategic on like what I needed. I wasn't trying to differ from my strategy. Like I was going the farm route. So I really wasn't paying attention to like the desalination plants or like the laboratories. Like that wasn't my concern. So I liked the crescendo. I like that you were getting more efficient as the game went on. My only quibble of the game is the length. I don't dislike long games. It's just something I have to plan for. Do you think it's too repetitive what you're doing since you're sticking with the same strategy and working on the engine you've been working on for two hours that makes it not as fun to play for as long? A lot of your strategy comes from these cards. Mm -hmm. And these cards are just luck of the draw for the most part. Obviously, there are actions that you can take to like gain more cards. Like in a game that has 200 cards. It's very terraforming Mars. Yeah, you have to be recycling those cards. You have to be getting new cards. Like those will help you win the game. Yeah. So, you know, this time I went the farm strategy. Maybe next time I go a different strategy and build a crap ton of cities because cities also give you points every time. Oh, upgraded cities give you stuff every time you produce. I'm really glad I gave Underwater Cities a second chance because for such a long time, it's just been a game I've dismissed or had no interest in. And now I realize, okay, I get why people like it. I still don't know if it's going to be my favorite game ever. There's a lot of other games that do these different mechanisms in a shorter amount of time that I enjoy. But if someone asked me, hey, do you want to play Underwater Cities? I probably would say yes. Love that. So that's episode three of the feeding phase. Today we talked about Gen Con games and second chances. We hope you enjoyed today's show. And if you have a game or recipe that you took a second chance on, let us know. And don't forget, whatever platform you're listening to us on right now, give us a like and maybe leave us a comment. And you can find us both, Benita underscore K and Brain in a Jar on TikTok and Twitch. See y'all next month. Happy eating. Sounds wrong.